Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to Galatians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 31. Let's open in prayer. Father, we're thankful for your love that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. And we long to hear from Jesus today. We long to walk in his ways, to walk in the truth, the truth that sets us free. Long to bring glory and honor to you. And all God's people said, Amen. Our text is Galatians 4, verses 12 through 31. I've simply titled Paul's Appeal. That's what Paul does. In verses 12 through 20, we see Paul appeals personally to those Galatians. And then in verses 21 through 31, Paul appeals scripturally to the believers in Galatia. See, this is the heart of every faithful pastor, to appeal to the saints personally and scripturally. J. Vernon McGee once said, I always wanted to place on the pulpit facing the preacher the words, Sir, we want to see Jesus. And a fine officer of the church I served in downtown Los Angeles did that for me when he heard me express that desire. There's another verse that I wanted to place on the pulpit, but facing the audience, he said, but I never had the nerve. In the words of Paul, he said, Am I therefore become an enemy because I tell you the truth? And as you know, many folks today, they really don't want to hear the preacher tell the truth from the pulpit. They would rather have him say something complimentary, something smooth, that smooths their feathers, makes them feel good. We all like to have our backs rubbed, but there's a lot of back rubbing from the contemporary pulpit rather than the declaration of the truth. In verses 16 and 17, it says, So have I become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? See, this is what Paul is appealing to him. He's, he's appealing to them to hear the truth and respond to the truth. In fact, in verse 12, we see Paul's personal response he says, I beg you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong. There was a time that Paul was once devoted to and bound by the law. But now we see Paul pleading, appealing to the brother, live in the freedom that, that he has experienced. Now, Galatians takes... Verse 12, I want to read it, and I want to read it in the Amplified. Notice what it says, Brethren, I beg you, become as I am, free from the bondage of Jewish ritualism and ordinances, for I also have become as you are, a Gentile. You did me no wrong in the days when I first came to you. Do not do it now. Paul writing to the Romans says something it's along the same lines. It tells us about, about him. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is that their salvation. For I testify about them and that they have a zeal for God, but not 
in accordance with knowledge, not knowing about God's righteousness, seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. See, they were hanging on to the traditions, hanging on to the law, and yet God had set them free. Now, typically, speaking to backsliders, they need appeal after appeal after appeal. So Paul appeals to them by reminding them of his relationship. Look in verse 13 with me. But you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you for the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe. But you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. What we see is the Galatians' identification with Paul. They identified. They were there with him. The physical infirmities that often were regarded as a curse and a punishment of the gods, it was okay. And, and it was because of these infirmities that he preached this word of truth, this truth that had set them free. And it's this truth that he's concerned that they're backsliding, turning away. And even though his illness, his repulsive appearance, they received him not as a just a, a mere messenger of God, but a very angel, even as Christ Jesus. They recognized, they saw, but now there's a red flag. Now there's a, a question, and that's because they've been listening to the false teachers. Notice the response, though, in verse 15. Where then is the sense of blessing that you had? For I bear witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. See, Paul says, what happened to the joy? What happened to the enthusiasm they once had? When they counted themselves blessed to hear him speak. Sadly, it was because of the legalism that had robbed the Galatians of their joy and the, the blessings of the grace. The joy, the praise they once had at conversion is now fading as the time was passing. The church in Galatia had been like the church of Ephesus now. As John wrote, you have left your first love. Today, there's still those drifting from the simplicity of the gospel. And when they drift from the simplicity of gospel and they see themselves as religious, that's exactly what they are because they're drifting into legalism. Some feel they need to observe days and seasons, engage in many different rituals and traditions, and then maybe they'll find favor with God. But in reality, they're walking away from that favor of God. As the scripture will say in Jude, to keep yourself in the love of God, they were not walking in the love of God. They were not keeping themselves in the love of God. In fact, there is a serious danger that when a man turns away from the doctrine of pure grace, he's really leaving Christ. His only hope for another gospel that's not even a gospel at all. They had left their first love. They 
no longer had that joy of God's salvation. Could that be true of any of us today? David understood that. He had lost that joy of his salvation once. In Psalm 51, 12, he says, Restore to me the joy of my salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. May God deliver us from religion that's merely empty and a heartless and mechanical routine. Look at verse 16. So have I become an enemy by telling you the truth? Listen to John 8:40. But as it is, you're seeking to kill me, a man who told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. See, this is Jesus speaking. They were seeking to kill him simply because he told them the truth. There's times that people don't want to hear the truth. John 8, 45 says this, but because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Well, there's three things I want to call your attention to. The truth, what the scripture says about the truth. The first one is in Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. That's what the truth comes as a light unto you and me. Psalm 119, 130 says, The unfolding of your words gives light, and it gives understanding to the simple. Then in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof and correction, training in righteousness, so the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. God's word is truth. It's, it's what you and I need to hear. I like what Hebrews says about the word. Listen in Hebrews 4, 12. For the word of God is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit. Of the both joints and marrow, it's able to judge the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Ephesians 4.15 says this, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. We need to hear the truth and walk in the truth as he is the truth. Notice the, the ulterior motive of these rival teachers. Verse 17. This is they eagerly seek you. Not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner, not only when I'm present, but with you. And they are false teachers. They're seeking to draw people out and after themselves. See, the false teachers, they, they seek to focus people upon the law, the works, the effort, the ritual, the ceremony and observance and sacrifices upon something that requires man to work and be good or doing good in order to become acceptable to God. But in contrast, the true minister seeks to focus people on God himself. 
his love and honor and praise. It's upon that fact that God himself has provided a way for man to become acceptable to him. And that way is through his son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ alone. The false teachers, though, in contrast, went about by excluding people, trying to cut them off from this minister of God. They not only sought people through the merits of teaching, but they attacked and tore down the minister. They tore Paul down with the intent to alienate the people from him. Paul brought the truth. They brought a lie. In the Old Testament, in the book of Jeremiah, the Lord talks about these false shepherds, the false leaders, the shepherds likened to a pastor or a leader. This is what he says in verse 1 of Jeremiah 23. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pastor declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning these shepherds who are tending my people. You have scattered my flock, driven them away, and have not attended them. Behold, I'm about to tend to you for the evil deeds, declares the Lord. God will, in the end, deal with these false teachers. We'll look down at verse 19. We see Paul's really ultimate concern. He says, my children, with whom I again labor until Christ is formed in you, but I could wish to be present with you and to change my tone, for I'm perplexed about you. See, the ultimate goal of salvation is not to get out of jail card free or a free pass to heaven for a sinful, unregenerate man. No, it's being conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ is to bring us to maturity that we glorify God. True ministers hold believers in their heart. Notice Paul says in verse 19, my children, they're dear. And as a parent wants to help a child grow and become everything he wants them to do, this shepherd, that is God's shepherd's, their heart is ever so tender and warm and caring and protecting and wanting to provide toward all those in the church because they, they want to see them know the Lord and grow in the Lord and experience him. We see the heart of the good shepherd. Jesus, when he's coming into Jerusalem, notice what he says in Matthew 23. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stoned those who sent her. How often I wanted to gather you, your children together, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were unwilling. That's the heart that Paul has. He's caught it because God has instilled in him this shepherd's heart. See, true laborers, true ministers, they do labor. They agonize over the growth of the believer. They seek to help Christ be formed in them, ground them in the Word. That's the ultimate goal of salvation. It's not just to get them saved and abandon them and see how they do on their own, but it's to help them grow and mature. See, true ministers guard. Guard the church against error. They 
watch out for false shepherds and they'll have to run them out of the church when it happens. Those that will bring division to the body of Christ. Those who draw people after himself, they'll warn them. But the fact is, some people don't want to hear the truth because they have itching ears. First John 2.19 Talking about false teachers here, they went out from us, but they're really not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would show that they're really not of us. This is true of false teachers when they go out with their false doctrines. Also those who follow them, because it shows that even though they made a profession, they've really never trusted in Jesus Christ. Look with me in verse 21. We see now Paul's scriptural appeal. Let me show you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do, do you listen to the law? And the Galatians had not yet submitted to the bondage of, of the law, but they desired to. Now, let me clarify that. Paul's primarily talking to the Gentiles. And as these Jewish legalists are trying to make them Jews first before they can become a believer. And it's their version of being a believer. But it actually is literally leading them away from Christ. Paul desperately wanted to stop them, turn them back to the life of grace. He challenges, again, the Galatians to be aware and to understand what the law really says. Verse 22 really shows us kind of a historical contrast. It says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one of a bondwoman and one of a free woman. But the son of a bondwoman was according notice to the flesh, and the son of the free woman was according to the promise. Again, verse 23, it says, according to the flesh. That is, it's not supernatural in the birth, for both parents were normal. Again, in verse 23, it uses that phrase, through the promise. The free woman, she received through the promise. See, both parents were past that age of childbirth. It was impossible in a natural way to have Isaac. But they did. So the promise was by a supernatural renewal of youth, and the child of promise was born. Follow with me on the screen. Genesis 21. Then the Lord took note of Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son, Abraham in his old age, at the point in time in which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the, the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore him to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who will have said Abraham and Sarah would nurse a child? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew, he was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on that day for Isaac. See the birth, the conception was supernatural. 
One of my favorite verses in a situation like this is that, again, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Every time I see something happen like that, God gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Not that he gets bigger, but my understanding of him, he is greater, bigger, more magnificent than we could ever, ever imagine. Why is it we ever doubt him, question him? Look at Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? I can't say that. You can't say that. But nothing is too difficult for the Lord. See, our God is a great God, an awesome God, an all-powerful God. He is God Almighty. Well, in verse 24, we see a word that we don't often see. It's allegorical. And that's what we're going to look at is allegorical comparisons. This is allegorically speaking. For these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are slaves. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Now, an allegory is interesting because an allegory can be interpreted different ways to different people. And some people come to the scripture and they turn it into an allegory. And this person over here says, well, I believe it means this. And another person believes it means this. And that's a very dangerous place to be. Because really what we want to know is God's intent. What did God want us to understand? Now, when this word allegory is spoken here, he describes that there, what the meaning is and how it's interpreted. So what is really an allegory? It's a figure of speech, which involves many interconnected symbols, allegorical figures, in such a way that nearly every element of this story, this narrative, has a meaning beyond a literal level. Uh, level. Everything in the narrative is a symbol that relates to a symbol within this story. And that's why it's dangerous when we start trying to apply it. But here, Paul, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, writing this text, tells us it's an allegory, tells us it's safe, and we can understand the author's intent. Now, what makes them a slave? It's the ceremonies. It's the traditions. It's the rites that never, never justify them. Look in Galatians chapter 4 there in verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, rather to be known by God, how is it you turn back to, notice, weak, worthless, elementary things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? Jump ahead to Galatians 5. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not subject again to the yoke of Slavery. God doesn't want us to, to fall into this slavery. It's not wrong, these traditions and things. But they're trying to find favor. And you can't find favor doing that. The only favor that you can ever find is when you come to Jesus Christ and you give your life to him and say, you are a sinner and I know that you are God and Lord and you died for my sins. Look at 
And that's what we trust in. That's the saving salvation, Jesus Christ. In fact, it was in Jerusalem. They had the Jerusalem Council. Because of this same argument and battle, let me read from verse 10 of Acts 15. Now, therefore, why do you put God to a test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke, which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? See, they were trying to, to bring all these disciples in to bondage. And you can't. They were drawn away from the simplicity of the gospel. Well, let's go back. And Paul simply uses a scriptural confirmation. That's what we see in verse 27. For it is written, Rejoice, barren woman, who does not bear or break forth or shout, you who are not in labor, for more numerous are the children of the desolate than that of the one who have a husband. That's referring to Christ or those believing and trusting in the Lord. Well, there's personal consequences. There's always consequences for our choices. Verse 28 illuminates that. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at the time, he who was born according to the flesh has persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So it is now also. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. See, a person who is born again and simply trusts in Jesus Christ, that's the free one. We who are Christians are children of the promise promise of the new covenant like Isaac and are being persecuted by the legalists, those who are trying to bind us under laws and traditions and rules. Now again, it's not wrong to do these things, to study them, but it's not to submit to them to try and find favor. We need to recognize we have favor with God the moment that we believe and trust in Jesus Christ as our salvation. Note the words though at the end of verse 29 who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now. Let me show you Deuteronomy 32. You neglected the rock who begot you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. And then in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take away your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Sustain me with a willing spirit, and then I will teach transgressors the way, and sinners will be converted. Our birth is a supernatural birth. God has chosen to bring us into the kingdom, but it is by faith and trusting in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. Some today have drifted, trusting that they have to read five chapters, ten chapters a day, keeping this tradition, that tradition, wearing certain clothes, eating certain things, can't eat certain things. But sadly, they're in bondage. Let me show you verse 31 for a moment. So then, brethren, we're not children of the bond woman, but of the free woman. When we trust in Jesus Christ, we're compared, this allegory, 
Paul now is giving us by the Holy Spirit connects us with this free woman simply by faith. But remember Paul's concern for the people. Look at chapter 5, verse 7. This shows his heart. You who were running well, he, he, he commends them. But who hindered you from obeying the truth? That's the simplicity of the gospel. The way of to heaven is never by works, nor by the law. No person can ever do enough works, keep enough laws to become perfectly good. Or to live in God's presence requires perfection. And we know that we can't. We can't live that perfect life. But because of what Jesus Christ does, we can boldly come to that throne of grace. We can experience the blessings of God, the peace of God, his spirit. By faith in the promise of God, we have that hope, that assurance, because we believe in Jesus Christ. And it's those who are genuinely trust in Jesus Christ to save them. God's made it so simple. Even a child can believe. Let me end with these verses. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, really pull it all together. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves it's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. A person saved how? Through faith. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of works. So we can't boast. We become his workmanship. And he will finish the work in you and me. Paul's concern it was those who were drifting. They were drifting from Christ himself. And the very person and thing that would save them. The simplicity of the gospel. Father, thank you for the gospel. So simple a child can believe. And Lord, we thank you that you saved us supernaturally. It is your work in us. And we thank you. And we ask, Lord, that you'd flood our hearts with peace, that you'd give us understanding, that you'd help us put off these things that would hinder us from seeing you and trusting in you. Give us that wisdom and discernment to walk in that straight and narrow path the path that you have walked before us. Lord, we thank you for today. I thank you for these precious saints here today. I ask a special blessing upon them that you'd reveal yourself to each and every one of them in a very personal, intimate way. Lord, we do bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.